I know something you don't know. He was not a smart man. You, you, you're, you, you're crazy. That's what I think. You're, you're screwing. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about things that were good until they told us they're not that good. And in fact, they might be bad. I know, that sounds a little cryptic, right? Well, throughout my life, corporate America has sold us on things that were supposed to be good for us or improve our lives or wonderful things to add to our existence. And they sold them to us and they sold them to us. And then it turns out, you know, they weren't that good for us. Now, it's a practice that continues to this day. And I wanted to talk about this stuff today because it's something to be mindful of. I'm not going to be around forever. I'm not going to be able to point these things out to you as time goes on. So you're going to have to watch for this stuff yourself. But when you've been around long enough, like I have, you see these things happen. And you go, you know, I had a weird feeling about that. Now, I know I'm talking a little vaguely. I'm a little ambiguous. You're probably saying, what are you talking about, gamer dude? Well, I'm going to tell you. This whole episode is based on a conversation I had with Mrs. Gamer Dude today. We were at the supermarket, and as we checked out, we used the self-checkout, something I usually don't like to use, which, by the way, is something I'm going to talk about as well, something that's been pushed on us that is really kind of not a good thing, but we've been sold a bill of goods on it, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But as we were checking out, we were using the ubiquitous plastic bags. Now, we're all environmentally conscious now. We know the hazards of plastic bags. There are efforts to ban plastic bags. There are cities that have done so. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you a little story about bags. And I know I've talked about this before, but it came up again today, and it really, really, really bothers me that it's still an issue. When I was a kid, there were no plastic bags. None. When I was a kid, when you went to the supermarket, they had those big brown paper bags. Now, you may not have ever even seen them. Because they don't use them very much unless you specifically ask for them. But when I was a kid, that's all there was. At the supermarket, they had these big, flat-bottomed, brown paper bags. Some of them were single thickness, some were double brown paper, but they were paper bags. And what you would do, you would take your brown paper bag, you'd shake it open, you'd form the rectangular bottom, flatten it out, and the bag would stand there by itself. And then as you were bagging your groceries, you would put the groceries in the bottom of the bag. Now, the reason we started thinking about this and talking about this today is because we put our bottles of soda in the plastic bags they give us at the supermarket these days. You put the bags in the back of your car, you drive out of the parking lot, you go around a corner, the bags fall down to the back of the car, and the soda rolls all over the place. And by the time you get home, half the bags you have to repack because everything has fallen out as you've driven home. Those brown paper bags that I grew up with, you would pack that bag, you could put three or four bottles of soda in it, 12, 15, 18 cans of whatever, a couple of bottles of sauce, a gallon of milk and some rolls or whatever. The bag would hold all that stuff and then you'd put it in the back of your car and it would stand there and it wouldn't fall over because it was a rectangular shape. It would hold its shape and you could slide the bags next to each other and have all of the bags supporting each other as you drove all of your groceries home. Now, if you didn't get the full grocery bag, they had the smaller, rectangular bottom, small shopping bags. If you only had two or three items. If you went to the drugstore or the card shop or wherever you went shopping, they had those flat paper bags. You'd pull the bag out. You'd snap it open. You'd slide your cards or your tube of toothpaste or whatever you bought. And you'd get it home and throw the bag away. 
Now those big brown shopping bags, they had multiple uses. After you got them home, nobody threw away brown shopping bags. We had a stack of them because brown shopping bags had so many uses. One of the primary uses of the brown paper bag, you'd cut it up and you'd cover your books with it. When we were in school, they'd give you textbooks at the beginning of the year. And that first week of school, we would go into the brown paper bag collection and cut up the bags so they'd be the right size to make covers for the books. There was a science to this. I know it sounds crazy, but there was a way to cover your books with brown paper bags. It was cheap. It was easy. And if your cover ripped during the year, you'd just cut another one. Brown paper bags were also great for covering packages you'd mail. Years ago, you had to put a cover on a package if you put it in the mail. You couldn't just mail a box. We covered every package we'd send to my grandmother or my aunt or my uncle. We'd wrap it in brown paper. Just like you're wrapping a present, except with a heavy paper that would protect the package as it was in the mail. We'd even use brown paper bags to soak up water in the basement. We had newspaper for that as well. But when you run out of newspaper, you could use the brown paper bag. The brown paper bag was also the perfect size for recycling newspaper. My dad got the paper every single day, and when we started recycling newspaper, where did we put it? In brown paper bags. Then we'd take the brown paper bags to the recycling center, and everything would get recycled. The bag and the paper. And you could get about a month's worth of newspaper in a brown paper bag. Brown paper bags were so useful. There were so many ways you could use them. But somewhere along the line, a push was made to replace brown paper bags with those ubiquitous little plastic bags we have everywhere. Sometime in the 1950s, some inventor created these little plastic bags. They were super cheap, super easy to produce. And someone said, well, we can save the trees now by using these plastic bags. I mean, the thing with paper bags, yes, they're made from paper and you need trees to make paper, but trees are a renewable resource. And the paper companies were planting trees to replace the trees they were taking down to make paper. But we didn't want that to get in the way of using these beautiful little plastic bags we've invented. So there was a huge push to get rid of paper bags for these plastic bags. So all throughout the 70s and into the 80s, supermarkets, drugstores, any place you shopped transitioned from using traditional paper bags to the new plastic bags. At about the same time, by the way, the fast food places transitioned from using paper straws to using plastic straws. Do you see a theme here? Now, I don't know this to be 100% true, but I suspect that the plastics industry, the plastic producers in this country, somehow got a lobbying effort together to advocate for the use, or more use, I should say, of plastic over paper. And yeah, it's nice to say we're saving the trees. It's more environmentally friendly not to cut down all the trees and produce all the paper. Except for the fact, as we've discovered in recent years, that plastic bags are non-compostable. They don't degrade naturally if you put them in a landfill or if you put them in a compost pile. It can take like a thousand years for a plastic bag to fully degrade. Not only that, but those stupid little plastic bags, they get caught in the wind. They can blow anywhere. So even if you get the plastic bags to the landfill, they can blow away super easy. They get washed away into storm drains. They go into the rivers. They go into the oceans. They don't disappear. A brown paper bag is paper. It'll degrade. Even if you throw it in the street, six months later, that bag will be gone. The rain, the traffic, just the wear and tear of the environment will have just shredded that paper bag and it'll be composted naturally. A plastic bag will still be sitting in that same spot, assuming the wind hasn't blown it away. Now, when all this was happening back in the 70s, I wasn't a scientist. I was a kid. 
But even I knew that plastic was made from petroleum, which was a problem, and plastic took forever to degrade. And it just made no sense to me that we would replace paper bags with plastic bags for any reason that had even the slightest connection to something that was environmentally friendly. Because I knew plastic wasn't environmentally friendly, but it was cheap. And so that's why all of our paper bags got replaced with plastic bags. It was cheap. And now the world is paying the price for that. So while the plastic bags may have been cheap and easy to produce, it's not an invention that has done a lot of good for people. There's another similar invention. We call it styrofoam. It's really polystyrene foam. Styrofoam is a different thing. I know, it's two different kind of chemical things. We say styrofoam. Styrofoam is actually a light blue color that's used in insulating building projects, but it's easier to say than polystyrene foam. So we call all of those white packing peanuts, all of that white stuff they package your computer in, or your refrigerator in, or your furniture in, those containers you get from the takeout restaurant, we call all that stuff styrofoam. That white foam stuff is another one of those inventions that was sold to us as a boon to mankind. Look how easy it is to pack things. Just fill that up with packing peanuts. Much easier to take your food home in this white plastic container. Keeps it warm. Here's a cooler made out of styrofoam. It doesn't leak and it keeps your cold drinks cold. Yeah, that's all true, except polystyrene foam is just another form of plastic. And as I just said, it takes plastic forever to break down. Not only that, but there's a whole bunch of toxic chemicals that are actually released into the air when polystyrene foam breaks down. Not to mention the toxic chemicals that go into the manufacturing process. So yeah, another plastic product was foisted upon us because it was cheap. Those foam coolers you get at the 7-Eleven for $1.99? Yeah, it's a great, quick, easy purchase, but at what price? It's funny because I remember the cooler that I had to carry around when I was a kid. We didn't have a polystyrene cooler. We had a cooler that weighed probably 30 pounds. It was a big old cooler, but it was made of metal. It was actually two tiers of metal with some air between it. It was like a giant thermos made of metal. And you would put your ice in that and your cold drinks in that. And yes, the problem with the metal container is it will rust out after a while. But it will rust out after a while. That's kind of the difference. A metal container will eventually disintegrate. A polystyrene container, not so much. And yes, the polystyrene cooler, much easier to carry around, much lighter. Same with a plastic cooler. But boy, that metal cooler that my dad had, do you remember that red plaid? Have you seen that red plaid that they have on thermoses? That red plaid was all around this cooler, and it had a lid, red plaid, of course, that fit tightly onto it so you would keep it insulated. It was heavy as hell, and if you loaded it up with ice and food and drinks, it was very heavy to carry. But it worked just as well, and it had far less of an impact on the environment. I know that cooler well because we took that to the beach. We had to make plenty of room for it because it was big. I say 30 pounds, maybe 20 pounds. It's 20 pounds of metal that we used to cool all of our stuff when we went to the beach. But it worked. It worked great. I remember it rusting out. Yes, it rusted out. I don't have it anymore because it rusted out. But unlike polystyrene, which is one of those great inventions we've had, it didn't have a lasting impact on the environment. And as long as we're talking about lasting impacts, here's another one that I learned about, but only as an adult. We've all seen those commercials about asbestos exposure and how it leads to mesothelioma, which, by the way, is a cancer that's only caused by asbestos exposure. You don't get mesothelioma unless you've been exposed to asbestos. Yes, it's asbestos exposure, usually in combination with something else like smoking, but they had to create a name for a cancer that was caused solely by asbestos, and that's what they did. But when I was a kid, 
Asbestos was not dangerous, at least as far as the public knew. Now, if you know anything about asbestos, the asbestos manufacturers knew early on, like in the 1920s and the 1930s, that there were dangers associated with inhaling asbestos fibers. That's why people get lung cancer from asbestos exposure, because the fibers are deadly, and the manufacturers knew this. But the manufacturers of asbestos relied on the fact that asbestos has so many good uses. I mean, they used to mix asbestos in with roofing tar because it was fireproof and it would help prevent fires. They had asbestos blankets that firefighters would use to put out fires because it was a fire retardant. They would put asbestos in floor tiles. Asbestos has very good heat-resistant qualities, so they would use asbestos in brake pads. You know, the pads you'd use to stop your car? Years ago, asbestos was in brake pads. And every time you stopped your car, you'd release asbestos fibers. If you were a mechanic and put brake pads in cars, if you did what my old boss used to do, you'd file down the edge of the brake pads sometimes, releasing asbestos fibers. They would put asbestos in paint. They used asbestos in insulation for wiring in houses. They would use asbestos as an insulation for pipes in ships, in buildings, in homes. Asbestos was everywhere and used in everything. And I remember I still have it somewhere. I remember when I was in grade school, I would get those books at the Scholastic Book Fair. Do you remember those? I have a book on gems and minerals because I was a nerd and I bought books on gems and minerals. But one of the minerals in this book that was part of the Scholastic Book Fair that elementary school kids bought, there's a section on it on asbestos, touting it as a miracle mineral that had so many beneficial uses to humans. And I remember that book vividly. But after years and years and years of people developing lung cancer, I've learned stories about places where they used asbestos. You've probably heard of a company called John's Manville. There's actually a town in New Jersey called Manville, which is, oh, coincidentally enough, where John's Manville was. And they used so much asbestos there that people would talk about snow in July because the asbestos fibers were everywhere, everywhere, because they used so much of it to make products. Well, the secret of the dangers of asbestos finally started coming out in the 70s and the 80s. And yes, asbestos had a lot of uses. And yes, there was a lot of beneficial uses to it. But at what cost? How many people over the decades have died of lung cancer caused by exposure to asbestos? You can find the stats. I don't know them off the top of my head, but I know it's a lot. But it was only after it became too big to deny that the companies finally admitted, oh yeah, okay, maybe asbestos isn't so good. Yeah, asbestos was great, as long as you didn't mind dying from it. And that's why a lot of companies that used asbestos went out of business, they went bankrupt, because they had to pay judgments to people because of the diseases that the asbestos caused. Great invention, those asbestos blankets, the asbestos potholders, the asbestos floor tiles, the asbestos insulation for your wiring. Really good stuff. Just don't inhale when you're using it. Here's another great invention from my lifetime that we used all of the time, and I remember the huge scare about it when news came out that it caused cancer. I don't know if you've ever heard of red dye number two. That's a weird thing to be afraid of, right? It's a food coloring. The food manufacturers used to use it all of the time to make things a certain shade of red. Red M&Ms used to be colored with red dye number two. That was the way we got them so red. Certain packaged cherries were colored red with red dye number two. Oh, you thought that was natural? No, it's all food coloring. Cherries are red, they're just not that red. Well, sometime in the 1970s, scientists discovered that the chemicals that they used to make red dye number two also could cause cancer. 
So that's a minor little bump in the road to making red food. No more red M&Ms. No more red cherries. No more red jelly beans. Because they only had the red dye number two to make things red. They did replace it, of course. We still do have red M&Ms and red cherries. But there was a period of time there where the businesses who used red dye number two couldn't make their red stuff anymore. I guess they thought it would be bad publicity if the people who liked red M&Ms started getting cancer from eating them. So they thought, ah, maybe we'll cut back on the red M&Ms, at least for now. As long as I'm talking about things that they add to your food, there was another one they came up with. And boy, I remember this vividly because I love things like potato chips, Dorito chips, basically any kind of chip. Back in the 1990s, one of the food companies came up with something called Olestra. Olestra was a fat substitute that they used to give flavor to foods. And Olestra was touted as this miracle addition because it added no calories to the food, but gave it the same flavor as if you'd use the standard ordinary fat process that you use to cook it, to bake it, to fry it, whatever. You could cook with Olestra and you could have low or no calorie chips and snack foods. Lay's Potato Chips introduced their Wow Potato Chip made with Olestra. And so instead of the baked potato chips that we get, we were getting Olestra potato chips because they were low or no calorie. It sounds great, right? Brilliant idea. A food additive that adds no calories but still has it taste as good? Brilliant. Well, except that after they started making these potato chips and these tortilla chips and everything else with Olestra, research started to come out that Olestra wreaked havoc with your stomach. People's gastrointestinal systems were just rebelling against this stuff, so much so that explosive diarrhea became a symptom of eating Olestra foods. I know it's unpleasant to visualize, but that's what happened. So you could have all the Olestra chips you wanted, there was just a little bit of a price to pay. So, not surprisingly, this brilliant invention of Olestra has kind of fallen into disfavor. Here's another invention that we're just now beginning to see how bad it really is. It was touted and has been touted as a wonderful thing, life-changing, makes everybody feel good, good for you, super helpful. Everybody should enjoy them. It's those flushable wipes you get for the bathroom. I mean, I grew up using toilet paper. Don't worry, we're not going to get graphic here. We all know what toilet paper is. We all know what we use it for. Well, within the past 10 years or so, the companies have started introducing flushable wipes. And it's a great idea, in theory. I mean, if you've had kids, if you've ever changed a baby, you know what a baby wipe is. It's a soft cloth that's damp that you use to clean the baby when you're changing the diaper. They've applied that same principle to slightly smaller cloths that they put in containers that you're supposed to put next to your toilet in the bathroom. I guess instead of a bidet, the thought is just use the flushable wipe. And they call them flushable wipes because we all know you're not supposed to flush big things down the toilet because it clogs the sewer or it ruins your septic tank, depending on what you've got. Because toilet paper, as you know, or if you don't, now you will, toilet paper is engineered to do its job and then dissolve in the water. It eventually just degrades and disappears. The difference between toilet paper and flushable wipes is that the flushable wipes, while they do their job, they don't degrade. At least not like toilet paper. Toilet paper is supposed to degrade relatively quickly to avoid problems like getting caught in the pipes or clogging up the sewers or jamming up the works at the water treatment plant. Flushable wipes are thick. They're not designed to degrade quickly. They're designed to do a different task, which they do very well. But by doing their task very well, they stay around for way too long. And if you look into this at all, 
You'll see that people are having to call plumbers to fix their pipes. They're having to call septic service companies to drain their septic tanks far sooner than they're supposed to because they're all jammed up with these flushable wipes. And you'll see that the flushable wipes get caught in sewer systems or in water treatment plants, and they literally wind up costing towns and cities hundreds of thousands of dollars in repair bills. So while the flushable wipes, great idea, and do their job, the long-term effects of them, are they worth the cost? All right, the final thing that I wanted to mention, which I alluded to earlier, is the self-checkout lines. Up to now, we've talked mostly about products or things, but the other invention, the other practice, whatever we want to call these things, the other thing that has existed in my lifetime that I just don't think has worked out really well is the self-checkout line. Again, this goes back to nobody likes change, but I have problems with the self-checkout line for a number of reasons. The first reason is, I don't work at the store. Why do I have to check myself out? You're providing a service. Have somebody check me out. That's the point of going to the store. The second problem that I have is the self-checkout line takes jobs away from people. I mean, think about that for a second. One of the first jobs a lot of people have is either the cashier or the bagger at the supermarket. It's a great entry-level high school job. But if you replace all the cashiers and all the baggers with a self-checkout line, well, what does that accomplish? It gets rid of some basic entry-level jobs that some people could probably benefit from because the employer doesn't want to pay somebody to do the job or give them benefits. I mean, that's what it is, right? I don't have to pay a computer that goes beep any salary or benefits. So I really have an objection on that level. And then the other objection I have is really an interpersonal objection. I've gone to the same supermarket for years, and I've gotten to know people over the years. And when you go through the checkout line, sometimes you like to see a familiar face, maybe have a conversation. Not everybody does that, and I'm not the biggest conversationalist in the world. But every once in a while, once every other week when you go to the store, it's nice to see that familiar face. Somebody who recognizes you. Somebody who says, oh, yeah, gamer dude, how's the family? And you go, oh, yeah, Tony, how are you doing? How's the wife and kids? I mean, I'm not a big one on small talk generally, but for the five minutes it takes the cashier to check me out at the supermarket, it gives me something to do while we're bagging up the groceries. And it's kind of nice to have that interpersonal communication. In a world where there's self-checkout lines, what are you going to do? Talk to the computer? The computer doesn't care. By taking people out of that equation, I think you're doing a disservice to your company. So I'm not a fan. But, as usual, they didn't ask me. They're just doing what they do. I guess we'll see who's right down the road. So I guess we have kind of an old man ranty episode wrapped up again. When I was a boy, we just ate our asbestos with our breakfast cereal and we didn't think twice about it. Where's my paper bags? How am I supposed to cover my kids' books? I mean, I know it sounds a little ranty, but you know what? The stuff that we used to put up with, the stuff we've been through, the stuff they try to foist upon us, it's not always good stuff. And so I wanted to point that out to you. That's what we're doing today. We're just bringing to your attention that there's some stuff that the they that we all talk about, they try to foist off upon us that you should know about in case you didn't and that you should be aware of and keep your eyes open for down the road. That's my public service for the week. You're welcome. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate all the time you take listening to these episodes. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.